0: vacation, But John Phillips is filling in for us very ably. Let's find out what's going on in the world. This is John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles. In for a vacationing Armstrong and Getty. They're not going to Europe because that's not allowed. You can catch me usually from noon to 3 Pacific time. On AM 790 KABC in Los Angeles, you can also read me in the Orange County Register, L.A. Daily News, Riverside Press Enterprise, and most importantly, the Redlands Daily Facts. You can also catch me on Twitter at Like. We've got a lot of breaking news this morning and late last night involving COVID-19. Who better to talk to about it than trauma surgeon? expert on mass casualties former chief medical officer for harris walgreens and continental airlines you can follow her on twitter at dr kelly victory dr kelly victory welcome
1: hey great to be with you john and yes the crazy just seems to continue it's uh It's Groundhog Day here. We seem to be amping up the panic, uh, to get, you know, new heights despite the fact that the real data would indicate that this thing is starting to absolutely taper off. Um, I think there's just rampant misinformation that's been out there, uh, and what the mainstream media is reporting, what you're hearing on the news every day, And frankly, the actions of a a number of these governors uh, and local politicians just isn't consistent with the data uh, that we're getting from the people who are on the ground, meaning physicians and hospitals and and people who are actually uh, real time looking at the numbers and what the hospital capacities are.
0: According to the data, according to the hard numbers that you have looked at, where are we right now in this pandemic?
1: Well, the bottom line is, John, that the trajectory of a pandemic, you know, what we are told, the curve, as you know, if you will. When we started out this whole thing, you know, back in February, March, remember, the whole thing was we want to flatten the curve. Well, I'm here to tell you that the trajectory of a pandemic, the curve of a pandemic always flattens. That's how they work. If you do nothing at all, the curve will go up. It peaks as those people who are most susceptible, most frail, most vulnerable, those people succumb early on. They become ill early on. And then as time goes on, both because more and more people have been exposed, because people develop some immunity, and because the uh, nature of viruses as they mutate is to generally, in the vast majority of times, they become less strong, they become less um, lethal. The the uh, curve will always flatten out if you do nothing at all. It has nothing to do with all of the uh, theater that we've been seeing of wearing masks and social distancing, whatever the heck that is, shutting down businesses and schools and city parks. So we really are at the point where we would expect that the numbers are flattening. In addition, we have the warm weather, which is helping. Uh, and we are not seeing a surge in the only things that really matter, which is hospitalizations ICU admissions and deaths. And that is a fact. When we hear people reporting, oh, my gosh, the ICUs are at capacity. Well, let me tell you, people are speaking out finally. We have, for example, uh, a senior executive in Texas spoke out about their entire chain of emergency departments that they run and said the ICUs in Texas are relatively full, but they're not full, John, with COVID patients. They're full with people who delayed going to the hospital, delayed going to their doctor for other problems because of the shutdown, because they were fearful, because they were told to stay home and not go in. So people having chest pain and stroke symptoms and diabetes complications and those sorts of things, those people showed up at the hospital way later than they should have and are now filling up the ICUs. If you talk to the people seeing COVID patients, they will tell you these are way younger patients than we'd seen back in February, March, and April. They have little if any symptoms at all. The only reason they got tested is because generally they were being encouraged to be tested by their employers to go get a test, or they simply wanted to know. They aren't showing up ill, they're showing up generally with few if any symptoms, and in fact the ERs will tell you most patients are faking that they have a symptom. They're saying, oh yeah, I have a little uh, cough or a little fever, simply so that they can get a test. These people aren't ill. And that fits exactly what we've known about COVID-19 from the beginning. We know who the people are who are at huge risk from this. And it's not the people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s without underlying health conditions.
0: You're speaking, of course, of people who are in hospice care, people who are in nursing homes. And those people were the ones that governors were most cavalier about protecting.
1: That's exactly. And those are the people in any outbreak, in any pandemic, as soon as we know who is truly at risk from a particular virus, those are the people we should rally around and protect. The idea of, quote, quarantining uh, healthy people, that's not even a thing. We quarantine people who are either sick or people who fall into those risk categories. Now, fortunately, with COVID-19, The people who are truly at risk were largely the elderly and people with underlying health conditions. That is different from other outbreaks. The Spanish flu back in 1918, one of the devastating things with that outbreak was that the people at risk were not the elderly. It was really healthy people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. That's devastating because that's your working people. So those people had to be isolated, had to be kept home, and it was devastating. COVID-19 is quite a different, quite a different virus. It doesn't target people in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. So the entire shutdown of the economy, keeping healthy people home from work, decimating the livelihoods of millions of Americans, shutting down schools and city parks and beaches, for COVID-19, was absolute folly. It wasn't scientifically indicated, and it should never have been done. We should have rallied around those people who are at high risk, shut down those assisted living facilities, shut down those nursing homes, and made darn sure that we weren't sending infected people back in there.
0: One of the recent developments regarding COVID-19 is that the governors of Florida and Texas, who had been digging in their heels, wanting their states to open up, recently backtracked. They backtracked on the bars, they backtracked on the whitewater rafting tours, and in Florida, in certain parts of the state, they backtracked on the capacity of the restaurants. Ever since they started walking that back, other governors in other states, including Kansas, California, they're requiring masks, they're shutting down bars, they're shutting down beaches.
1: And it, honestly, I am so disappointed in Governors Abbott and DeSantis for starting that trend. Uh, they were on the right path. They, uh, un- unfortunately, this was a mistake, I believe, of epic Proportion for them to backtrack and start reshutting things, you know, back down and start this entire domino effect. Then, an increase in the number of cases, quote unquote, in the United States is absolutely irrelevant, John. That number we are focusing, the mainstream media is focusing, politicians are focusing on the wrong numbers. The number of cases is irrelevant if it doesn't translate into an increase in hospitalizations, ICU admissions, or deaths. And those three numbers, hospitalizations, ICU, and deaths, are down across the board. And they were down even in states that had fully reopened. And you keep hearing from people on the mainstream media, well, death is a lagging indicator, quote unquote. Well, you get exactly two weeks to to say that. And most of these states, including Texas and Florida, had been fully reopened, upwards of six weeks. And we were not seeing an increase in deaths. So that's, that's absolutely not true, that, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. People running around like the sky is falling. It isn't. And I don't care how many new cases there are. There are new cases, number one, because we are testing to a, an order of magnitude more than we were back in February, March, and April. Uh, There's an increase in testing because we have changed the parameters to be tested. Early on, you may recall, you had to be pretty darn sick before you could even get a test because they weren't available. Now, as I said, even healthy young people who are faking that they've got you know, a fever or a cough are getting a test, and I don't begrudge them that. But don't be surprised when you have an increased number of, quote, cases. We also are seeing some cases of people who are sick coming across our southern border. That's absolutely a fact uh, in what's going on in California and in certain counties there. And we likely are seeing an increase in people who test positive because of the folks who are out uh, shoulder to shoulder, marching and screaming in each other's faces at protests and uh, riots around the country. But the bottom line is those people aren't getting sick. And when I say sick, I don't mean having cold symptoms for a few days. I mean putting extra strain on the system. They simply aren't. So we are focusing on the wrong numbers.
0: Are you afraid that there's going to be another full-scale shutdown again with the bars, the beaches closing, and, and restaurants uh, certainly being limited in their capacity?
1: Oh, you better believe I am. I am terrified about it. And it is so you really have to wonder what the agenda is. I got what I consider to be a chilling email this morning Um, from the Harvard School of Public Health, where I am an alum uh, of of postgraduate training and executive uh, education there, including uh, a very intensive program to train leaders for times of crisis. Um, And I was very proud of that, having uh, been a graduate of those programs. That said, I received an email that talks about them reopening the school in the fall, and they said they feel that it's safe to reopen as long as we, quote, foster a culture
0: of compliance. A culture of compliance? Yes. That sounds like something out of 1984.
1: That exact. It was chilling. It made the hair go up on the back of my neck. This came from the Harvard School of Public Health, that we are safe to reopen as long as we foster a culture of compliance. That is absolutely, if that is not chilling to you, then I don't know where, you know, then you aren't reading history because that is frightening to me. And so, yes, I am terrified that they are going to, number one, shut things back down while they work to develop this culture of compliance, which all you have to do is turn on the news now. There isn't anybody this morning, John, on the news on any channel who doesn't have a face mask covering them. They're they're talking heads that you can't even see their mouths move. It is really, really scary what's happening. And, I'm telling you, it is not consistent with the actual data, the important data that we are seeing in healthcare. And there is an agenda that is far different from a public health agenda that's really going on in this country.
0: How long do you think? We know that Ezekiel Emanuel, who's Joe Biden's top health care advisor, said not long ago that he believes that the country should shut down for a year and a half. How long can they run with this before they open things up?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I think it's really going to depend on what happens in November because I do believe that the left is very interested in using this to their advantage, not only um, to gain a lot of traction and a lot of control, but they are, for example, really using this to double down um, on Obamacare. And you don't hear much about it in the mainstream media, but behind the scenes, the Democrats are working very hard right now to expand um, the reach of Obamacare uh, and to expand government intervention in the healthcare system. They're going to use this to drive the uh, narrative that this is why government needs to control the hospitals uh, and the entire healthcare system because uh, of what we've learned from COVID 19. Uh, and what I would say is that because they are reporting information that simply does is not consistent with. It, what we hospitals are actually seeing on the ground. So I think that they are using this truly uh, to drive other narratives. And uh, unfortunately, I think until what you know, the election in November, we I don't know when it's going to stop. Unfortunately, President Trump and his team and uh, other governors are going to need to take control because this becomes unrecoverable at some point. There are so many small businesses, John, that will never reopen. There are so many children who have been damaged by this by missing critical elements of their education, not just in terms of the academic piece, but in terms of the so the social and psychological components. The fact that what children really are supposed to learn in school, which is so much more than reading, writing, and arithmetic, uh, all of the social skills uh, – it, it, So much of that has been damaging the number of elderly who really are living their last days in isolation, desperate and depressed uh, and anxious because they haven't been able to see friends and family. I mean, the, the amount of suffering that has been uh, just really foisted upon the American people as a result of this pandemic. And as I said, I've never said that this virus isn't real. I've never said that it isn't serious and that we don't need to absolutely protect a certain category of people so that they don't become ill and succumb to it. I've never said that, but this has been such a botched response and it is now so clear that the forces driving the response are beyond public health
0: dr kelly victory thank you so much for lending your expertise we always appreciate your time great to be with you john you can follow dr kelly on twitter at dr kelly victory more coming up it's john phillips in for armstrong and getty
1: armstrong and
0: John Phillips is filling in for him and me, A&G, while we take in a little leisure time.
1: Yep, we're on vacation. John, what's happening?
0: Well, there's a whole lot that's happening. Can't go to bars anymore in certain counties in California, Texas, and Florida. Can't go whitewater rafting in Texas, and restaurants are at limited capacity, so... Not a lot of people are going to be spending their summers in ways that they typically spend their summers. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. We just spoke with Dr. Kelly Victory, who has referenced repeatedly the botched reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, you'll love this. Apparently, Dr. Anthony Fauci who's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director, he sat down with Fox News and said that it's, quote, still too early to say what has caused a major increase in the number of coronavirus cases in parts of the U.S. And you have to sit here and you just have to shake your head. What was going on two weeks ago? Oh, yes, it was the looting. It was the rioting. It was the protests. And he still can't blame them for causing the spread of COVID-19 and the new positive cases. They still won't criticize them. It's just unbelievable. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Much more coming up. Armstrong and Getty were on vacation, but we needed somebody to let you know what's going on in this crazy world. We've chosen the fabulous John Phillips. We'll be back on Monday, but John, take it away. It's John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, in for Armstrong and Getty, who are on vacation. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyDon'tLike. So, one of the things that we've seen happen ever since the world went crazy is that we're taking various spokesmen, I guess you can't even really call them spokesmen, but they're, they're images that are associated with products. They're being removed from those products because they've been deemed to be racist, sexist, fill in the blank. It started with Aunt Jemima. She was taken off the the syrup bottles. You can't see the Indian on the Land of Lakes butter anymore. Uncle Ben is gone. It's just a matter of time before PETA finds fault with the Trix Bunny. And they determine that's animal cruelty. And suddenly the Trix Bunny is going to have to come off the cereal box. I don't know what we're going to be decorating all of these products with. What are they going to call Aunt Jemima syrup from this point forward? You have to come up with a different name. What about log cabin syrup? That's the big competitor, right? Maybe they'll have to change that because that promotes cutting down the forests. But it's not just products that are having to change their name. Did you see that there is now a push to get rid of Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore. One of the few places you can go on summer break. And the Democrats, their official Twitter account, the account of the Democratic National Committee, raised eyebrows on Monday, yesterday, for accusing President Trump of, quote, glorifying white supremacy after he scheduled a 4th of July celebration at Mount Rushmore. He's showing up to Mount Rushmore to attend a fireworks display At the iconic landmark that honors george washington thomas jefferson theodore roosevelt and abraham lincoln the tweet was and i quote trump has disrespected native communities time and again he attempted to limit their voting rights and blocked critical pandemic relief now he's holding a rally glorifying white supremacy at Mount Rushmore, a region once sacred to tribal communities, end quote. I would note that when you look at Mount Rushmore, there are Republicans that are on that mount. George Washington, who was really a Federalist, not a Republican, but the Federalists became the Republicans. Theodore Roosevelt, the Bull Moose, he was a Republican president. Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican president, man who freed the slaves But there's also a Democrat on Mount Rushmore, Thomas Jefferson. And he's not just any Democrat. He's the founder of the Democratic Party. Yes. Without Thomas Jefferson, there is no Democratic Party. So in this tweet, if they actually meant what they said when they said that Mount Rushmore is a sign of white supremacy then so is their founder. So is the founder of the Democratic Party, Thomas Jefferson. And since Thomas Jefferson founded the Democratic Party, if they consider him to be a white supremacist and someone who shouldn't be celebrated on Mount Rushmore, then aren't they profiting off of white supremacy? They still have the name. They haven't changed the name of their party. They're the Democratic Party, just like they were back when he was president. They have the fundraising dinners, the annual fundraising dinners for their party. They're called the Jefferson-Jackson dinners. So they're raising money off of his name in modern times. His face is on the $2 bill. Shouldn't the Democratic Party be forced to change their name? I mean, if they're profiting from white supremacy... Maybe they should be forced to pay reparations. Because if you go back and look at the history of the Ku Klux Klan and other organizations that did horrific things like lynchings and cross burnings and intimidation and violence and terrorism and everything else, many of these same grand wizards in the KKK were also Democrats. Some of them elected Democrats. Bob Byrd, the senator from West Virginia, he was a Klansman. He was a Democrat. He was in the US Senate, and that ain't ancient history. He served with Hillary Clinton. He served with Chuck Schumer. He served with Harry Reid. And he was in good standing. Not only was he in good standing, but they named a lot of bridges after him in West Virginia, post offices, various infrastructure items that came with federal dollars and the consent of people like Hillary Clinton. Well, if you're tearing down monuments because you say they're named after racist people, Well, why did Hillary Clinton vote to name everything in the state of West Virginia after Bob Byrd? Was that a lapse in judgment? And if they're tearing down all of these statues, why not tear down everything in West Virginia named after Bob Byrd? If you do, you won't have a bridge left, so bring a boat. But no organization in America has a more sordid past on this subject than the Democratic Party. None. Not the Republican Party. Not the Libertarian Party. Not the Greens. Although if your party's named the Green Party, you can't necessarily say you don't see color. So we can take that argument away from them. But the Democratic Party is a party with the worst history if you go back and look at American history in totality in regard to race. So if the Democrats of 2020 wanna say that Mount Rushmore is a monument to white supremacy, then so is their party. So change the name, take down all of your fundraisers that raise money off of people like Woodrow Wilson, who played Birth of a Nation at the White House all the time. It was his favorite movie. FDR interned the Japanese. Andrew Jackson killed the Indians. And apparently Thomas Jefferson is now considered to be a white supremacist. So then there are very few heroes left in the Democratic Party if you tear down all of their icons. But they have to do that if they want to, you know, stay consistent but I'm serious maybe they should take all of the money that they raised off of these figures that they themselves consider to be problematic and instead of spending that money on campaigns and elections they should pay reparations to the people that their democratic leaders have harmed the descendants of them I think that would be appropriate and as long as they don't pay these reparations and continue to profit of what they consider to be white supremacist actions and individuals, well, then they're just not getting with the times, are they? What do they suggest that we do about Mount Rushmore? Do they want to blow it up like the Taliban did to the the Buddhist Monuments in Afghanistan? Is that what they want to do? Show up with dynamite? I'd love to know what to about this so-called monument to white supremacy that is Mount Rushmore. According to FoxNews.com, they later deleted the tweet. Gee, I wonder why. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty.
1: and Getty Show. Let's get back to the latest with John Phillips.
0: It's John Phillips in for a vacationing Armstrong and Getty You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyDon'tLike and listen to me on Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles. My show there airs between noon and 3. You can get me at AM 790 on your AM band or worldwide at KABC.com. Well, Joe Biden is hanging out in his basement. He's like one of these potheads that still lives at their family's home. Where they just stay in the basement and never leave, sitting down there playing video games, watching TV, texting his friends. And it's worked out for him. His poll numbers are doing pretty well right now. It looks like he's leading in all the national polls and his lead keeps expanding. And he's doing well in the purple states These poll numbers, of course, are a snapshot in time, so things can change dramatically, as they often do. I remember the 1994 governor's race in the state of California, where incumbent Governor Pete Wilson looked like he was D.O.A. He was going to lose, and Kathleen Brown, who was the sister of Jerry Brown, the former California governor, and the daughter of Pat Brown, the longtime California governor, who was a statewide elected official as a state treasurer looked like she was just going to stomp all over him and become the next governor of California, and then 1994 happened, and there was Prop 187, and there was three strikes and you're out, and there was a huge Republican wave, and Pete Wilson ended up cleaning her clock, and everyone wrote him off. Everyone said Pete Wilson's career was over. Didn't happen. The guy ended up winning in a landslide in California. Now, California in the 1990s isn't California of 2020, but it's still California. It's not Idaho. And a Republican was able to win by very large margins. So for people to say that President Trump is down and out and the election is over, they don't know what they're talking about. If the election were held today, would he lose? Probably. But the election isn't held today. It's going to happen in November. And Joe Biden, at some point, is going to be forced to emerge from his basement and do things that candidates are expected to do. He may not have to have a full convention The Democrats say they're going to do something virtually, but he's still going to have to give some kind of convention speech, whether it's in his basement or not. He's going to have to participate in the debates, whether they're in person or not. He's going to have to sit down for interviews with members of the press. And he's going to have to campaign in some capacity, whether it's just videos that they post on the Internet or whether he gets out of his house and travels around the country. And the guy, by my estimation, doesn't have the mental faculties for the job. And you can only hide that so long. Everyone says the most important person in the country if Joe Biden wins is gonna be his vice president, whoever that nominee happens to be. I say no. The most powerful person in the country is gonna be Joe Biden's nurse. They might be calling the shots. He still hasn't decided who he's going to nominate to be his VP nominee. And every once in a while, we hear news in terms of who he's vetting and who he's thinking about at any given moment. Most recently, we heard that California Congresswoman Karen Bass, who represents Culver City, where actually KABC Radio is located, that she's on the list and she's being vetted. She's a former speaker of the California Assembly, who, by the way, her claim to fame is saying very nice things about Fidel Castro. Good luck in Florida if you pick Karen. But the same names keep popping up. Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, Val Demings, Elizabeth Warren, about who he's considering for his VP nominee. And I keep looking at all of these names, all of these profiles, and you keep finding problems with them. Val Demings was a former police chief in Orlando, which means for the woke crowd, she's never going to be woken up. They're going to find something wrong with her. They're going to find some situation in Orlando that's going to be a huge problem. And they're probably already finding them in the vetting process. Kamala Harris was an attorney general and a district attorney in California. The woke crowd will never accept that. Stacey Abrams does not come from law enforcement, but has never been able to win a statewide election in Georgia. So what she brings to the table is unclear. Elizabeth Warren is a lefty, but not left enough to make the Bernie Sanders people happy. So I don't know what you get if you nominate her. The person I think would bring most to the table for Joe Biden is South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn. And you say, John, what are you, on drugs? Why would he pick another 80-year-old man to be on the ticket with him? And I say, when you're running for president... It's not like the old days where you're looking for geographic diversity or age diversity or racial diversity. What you're doing is you're selling a product and everything that you're selling should reinforce the product that you're selling. Joe Biden's an 80-year-old man, so if you're not comfortable voting for an 80-year-old, you're not voting for Joe Biden in the first place. So take that off the list. The second reason that he would probably be Joe Biden's best option is that he is not one of these people that's new to the scene, and he's got a certain amount of respectability in the Washington circles. Which means if there are more riots that start popping up in the streets, Joe Biden isn't going to tell them to knock it off because they'll say, Why would we ever listen to you? Jim Clyburn could theoretically step up and say, knock it off. And there might be some people who listen. And that would be a benefit for Joe Biden. If he had some degree of influence over getting control over these streets. But who knows? Doesn't seem like he's on the list. But. In 2000, it didn't seem like Dick Cheney was on George W. Bush's list either. He was supposed to be the guy that ran the committee to pick the vice presidential nominee. And after he ran through his exhausted, exhaustive process, he said that he was the guy. Jim Clyburn is allegedly helping Joe Biden figure out who he's going to pick to be his vice presidential nominee. Don't be one bit surprised if it ends up being Jim Clyburn. There is no member of Congress that doesn't look in the mirror and see a president, whether you're in the House or the Senate. They get involved in government because they want to be where the action is. And no place on planet Earth has more action than the White House. So if you think for one second that he wouldn't be interested in something like that, you're crazy. That's going to be the next big news that Joe Biden breaks. Whoever it is that he picks to be his vice presidential nominee. And there will be a lot of attention. There will be a lot of focus on who he picks. Because Joe Biden, he's an old man. And he's losing his marbles. So you better believe that this decision will be one of the most consequential consequential decisions that Joe Biden makes throughout this campaign. All right. We've got a lot more coming up. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. We're going to tell you what's going on in the state of Texas with the shutdown of the bars and potential shutdown of more items and more services that are currently open. And also, Dr. Barbara Stone is going to stop by and talk about the 2020 presidential election. Is President Trump in as bad a shape? As Chuck Carlson and others say that he is, we'll explore John Phillips and Strong and Getty. And Getty.